You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. It's good to be with you this morning. Welcome to Vineyard Community Church at Mount Comfort. We are the highest point of the county. This huge mountain that we, that we reside upon. Are we above sea level? <laughs> I'm not sure, but... Uh, it always cracked me up when I found out we were at Mount Comfort. And I've always just looked at that as a figurative kind of a prophetic name rather than a, a literal manifestation in the earth because this isn't much of a mountain even in, in, in Indiana. In Indiana. This isn't much of a, a hill. But uh, it's, it's a wonderful place of comfort. Wonderful place of comfort. Have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 5. It's hard to get out of Acts once you get going in it. It's just like, oh, this is... So I'm, I'm going to go just a little bit backward from last week, look at a couple verses uh, as we then move on. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 5, we'll begin reading at verse 29. <clears throat> Peter and the other apostles... Oh. I forgot to make my little funny on the joke. Did you guys already see that? There we go. They never stopped. That's the, that's the title of today's message is they never stopped. But I saw this cartoon. I thought, well, this kind of fits. Then he returned to his disciples and found them texting. Can you not keep watch for one hour without texting? <laughs> okay. Just in case anybody thinks I'm under the delusion that while you're texting people, I think you're taking notes on your iPhone. I'm not. I'm not buying it. Okay, now we'll go. Now we're ready for Acts chapter 5. For real. Verse 29. And Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging on a tree. <clears throat> God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior. Did you ever know that Jesus was identified as the prince? Interesting. Prince of peace. Prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Thutius appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. 
For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. You know, we see it in the Gospels that when Jesus started to do kingdom ministry, it caught the attention of the religious leaders. And we see at first they didn't really know what to make of it. They listened, they paid attention. But as he continued, he would heal on the Sabbath and it would upset them. He, he would talk about God in ways that would also upset them. And, and we see that the opposition towards Jesus begins to increase and increase and increase. In the Gospel of Mark, probably the most concise gospel, uh, the gospel where, where the, the gospel writer is trying to get us, you know, Mark is trying to get us to the cross of Jesus as fast as he can and still be somewhat uh, representative of the ministry and life of Jesus. So we hit warp drive at chapter one. We come out at the cross and we, we come out of warp drive and he spends quite a bit of time there at the cross. He introduces the opposition that Jesus endured in chapter three. A gospel of 16 chapters and in chapter three already he is, he is finding some serious opposition. Matter of fact, they're plotting how to kill him in chapter 3. Huh. Why? Because he healed on the Sabbath. I don't know if it had anything to do with the withered hand or if it was just kind of the showdown at the OK Corral and Jesus went ahead knowing that they were going to hate him, still did what he saw the Father doing and healed the man. We find that this is kind of what's happening now with the apostles. As, as the Holy Spirit has come upon them and, and they are witnesses, they're endued with power from on high and, and they're starting to minister. Uh, the first, you know, everybody's speaking in tongues and people are hearing them, declaring the wonders of God in their own language. And then Peter gets up and, and because they, some of them think that they're, they're drunk and, and he articulates, no, this is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. And he preaches the gospel and 3,000 come to salvation. Pretty amazing. Still nobody's upset. There's no, there's no real anger from the religious community uh, until they go to temple. So now as they're going to temple, as, as they're walking along the paths and they come and, and, and they encounter the guy who's, who's crippled, lame for 40 years, and they release healing, miraculous power to the guy. And now out of this comes a declaration of the gospel. 
And we see that the numbers continue to advance and healings begin to continue to, to happen. But opposition starts. You know, there's almost any time when, when you start your momentum in, in, in the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit is becoming a reality in your life and you're starting to move forward, there's always going to be resistance. Do not be surprised when the goodness of God tries to get infiltrated by the kingdom of darkness and, and the enemy tries to rob, steal, and kill and destroy. He, he, he always does that. He's never going to stop. He's going to lie to us. He's going to use all sorts of intimidating factors. Uh, He'll use seduction. He'll use intimidation. He'll use manipulation. He'll use everything he can to try to somehow neutralize the wonder and the joy of life in the spirit and life in the kingdom. And so he goes after them. And there they are. So they do this healing they get called into an account and they say, oh, you want to know how this guy got healed? It's by Jesus, the one you killed. <laughs> yeah. You remember the one that you crucified that you had the Romans, you know, do? Yeah, it's through him and by faith in his name that he stands completely healed. And so as, as they, they get that kind of understanding going, it escalates. You know, it goes from, from one level to the next. <clears throat> we find in four, chapter 4, verse 2, with the healing of, of the guy, the crippled man, that the religious rulers are greatly disturbed. Okay? They notice that they're ordinary, unschooled, but they also notice that they've been with Jesus. Then in 517, we find out that the apostles have been functioning. And right before 17, we see that there's a lot of healings taking place. We're starting to see that they're moving the way Jesus did. And we're getting the same kind of language that was accompanied with Jesus. And all that came to them, he healed. And so we start to see that the region is starting to expand. And people are starting to come. And they're getting healed. Hmm. And what's happening in the religious system? They're filled with jealousy. And out of their jealousy, they have them jailed. They put them in jail. And as we've already been preaching through this, and what happens? An angel of the Lord comes and lets them out of jail. Now, I wish we had more detail on this account of this great escape. You know, how, how did it happen? Did he have an angel key that unlocks all doors? And he used his angel key and got him out and came. Because the report, when, when now the, the Jewish leaders get together and they're ready to interrogate the apostles, they go to the jail. The guards are there. They're awake. They're sober. The jail is locked. Nothing has been messed with. But the apostles aren't there. The apostles are gone. Now I get goosebumps at that. That's, that's just cool. And the angel that gets them out of jail tells them to go and continue to teach at the temple. 
So at the break of day, they're out doing what they were told to do by the angel. And they're continuing to teach and declare who Jesus is, his death, his resurrection, and calling people into eternal life through him. And so that's happening. Well, when the, when the guards come back from jail and say there's nothing there, the guards are there, the cells are locked, but there's no, there's no apostles there. What happens to this? They're puzzled. Okay, we go from greatly disturbed, they're filled with jealousy, now they're puzzled. They're, they're trying to think, what, how, what, what's this mean? How do we make sense of, of, of this? How do they get out? And then they get a report that they're back in the temple area and they're, pro, they're proclaiming Jesus again. Okay. Now we get to verse 33. As, as they finally get them and they come and they, and they articulate and, and, and it comes out once again that they've got to obey God over man. And we find that they're witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. And as they're giving that kind of verbiage to the religious council, they're just furious. They're just angry. I don't know if it's because they're putting God's authority above the council's authority, above the Sanhedrin, or whether it's the last little statement there in verse 32. And we are witnesses of these, of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God gives to those who obey him. Ooh. I don't know if that was intended to be a dig, but I imagine the conviction of that just kind of filleted some hearts. The Spirit of God is given to those who obey. If you want to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, there's always going to be a, a conditional dynamic to that not to receiving him, but to walking in fellowship with him, where you, you've got to obey what he's, what he's leading you to do. Okay? The more you obey, the more you're walking in the spirit, the more you're going to be able to, to function in the kingdom of God the way Jesus functioned. Huh. They wanted to put them to death. First, just some Pharisees, then some Sadducees, then some Sadducees and the high priest. At the point that it gets to death, the offense has gone all the way up to the high priest. And the high priest and the Sadducees, the upper class of the, of the religious Sanhedrin, wants these apostles put to death. Thank God for Gamaliel. What would have happened had this wise Pharisee who had incredible honor among the people not been present? What happened if his, if his life of integrity hadn't been lived out before the people and they wouldn't have seen? What would have happened if, if, if they would have taken Peter and John, the other apostles, and crucified them? There would have been a whole lot that we needed that we hadn't received yet because these guys are ministering the gospel. But Gamaliel gets up and he speaks and he brings to remembrance what happens. 
When you have this kind of revolt, when you have this kind of rebellion, when you have this kind of movement that's got a force that's gaining something, what happens? You strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. You strike the leader and the movement just dissipates. And so he talks about Thudius. And as, as you see what happened with him, he had over 400 guys that were following him. But when they killed the leader, nothing came of the movement. They killed him, nothing happened. And then about Judas, not Iscariot, but Judas the Judean, is it? The Galilean, Judas the Galilean. So as you get Judas the Galilean and you get what was happening with him, they killed Judas and all his followers, nothing came of it. Do you catch the logic here? These guys are following Jesus. We've killed Jesus and what's happening? This thing's going exponential. This is beyond addition and multiplication. This thing is just going viral. It's, it's just happening, it's spreading, it's moving. And he says, you know, if it's of human origin, you kill the leader and it dies. The movement ceases. But here, be careful. You could be fighting against God. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? Darkness knows that it's got to kill the leaders if it's going to keep the kingdom from coming to pass. They killed Jesus and the kingdom explodes. Why? Why? Why does it go exponential? It's of God. It's of God and, and, and the genius of Jesus and God the Father is knowing that if you really want this thing to, to really go, you've got to spend time and lead a smaller group. So Jesus had his 12. And within the 12, he even went a little smaller and he had his three. Robert Coleman, in his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, he looks at this as Jesus' most genius methodology of, of taking and investing himself into 12 and then within the 12, investing himself in the three. And out of that becomes something that once he's dead, this thing continues to go. What happens to us? What happens to us? Hmm. How difficult is, the, is it for the enemy to take a church out? Hmm. 
Anybody know a church that's ever closed, started, and, and didn't go? Yeah, we, we know, we know church. What happened? Usually something happens to the leader, and it dies. Hmm. You weren't planning on thinking this deep today, have, were you? <laughs> Somber. We need to be praying for the Holy Spirit to raise up leaders here. Leaders. We need to be praying for the Holy Spirit to lead up people who have passion for the King and His kingdom to come together Because none of us are going to be here forever. So I'm working. I, I, I think one of the faults of a lot of leaders is, is we figure that by the time we hit 65, 70, Jesus' second coming will have arrived and we won't have to worry and we'll all be raptured and, or whatever your theological persuasion is. And we'll all be, we'll all be there. <clears throat> I am happy when Jesus returns I will do somersaults and backflips and just have all sorts of joy just explode as soon as he returns. But right now I'm working on my 100-year plan. <laughs> I really am. I don't have any more hair to lose. So I got to start thinking strategically, Lord, what are you wanting to do here? How do we do it? And then I sit with some of you that are in your 60s and here you talk about retirement and that you're going to move to this state and that state and you're going to go up here and you're going to go down there. And I'm thinking, okay. I don't know if you've been by my door lately. I took it off, finally. Uh, I had a little cartoon and it says, what does he mean our church isn't full of young people? He said, well, there's, you know, Amos and Mildred. They're 65 and 62, you know? And it's like, who are they talking about? And it's like, okay. We've got to get intentional about praying for this next generation. I believe that the purpose that God has designed for this location, this 20 acres that we currently own, a lot of kingdom activity can be done on the, these 20 acres. And it can be <clears throat> a sending facility. It can be a training facility. It's, a it's been a hospital facility. And it's been a family. But it's time for us to grow. It's time for us to expand. It's time for us to realize that the next generation should be taking over any moment. And so we need to make the preparations to make that transition as wonderfully as we possibly can. Now, this is not a farewell message, okay? <laughs> so don't anybody get any anxiety. I love you. Matter of fact, while we were worshiping, I thought, today I just want to take a few moments and just look at everybody. Just look at everybody in, in their face and, and just say, man, Lord, I really love these people. Amen. These are your people. <laughs> they are wonderful people, and I really, really love them. And I want to see your very best for each one of them. Right on. And I want to pastor them well at the ripe old age of 62. <laughs> I really want to pastor well. Oh, yeah. But I want to lead even better. I want to pastor you, but I want to lead what the Lord wants for this place. 
And I, I, I just ask you to join me in really interceding and praying and asking for God to give us understanding of what's, what we need to be doing in this hour. Right on. <clears throat> well, one of the things that I think is absolutely crucial is that one, we don't get upset when all of a sudden we find opposition. And when we find that opposition increases, and when opposition, you know, when it's coming from, you know, Peter and Mary and Matilda or something like that, well, they don't carry a whole lot of weight anyway. We don't care what they say. You know, they're, they, they don't even show up half the time, so who cares what they... But, but then it goes and you start to see opposition starts to come and all of a sudden opposition's coming from, from places that you respect, places the enemy will use any of us to bring discouragement and, and to, to take away momentum and, and to be used. I used to pray this prayer very regularly. Lord, today I don't want to do the enemy's work. I want to do your work for people. And I'd find that I could be in a counseling session. I could be with some people and I could just give my opinion about something. And all of a sudden, before I realize it, I've done the enemy's work. They don't know the background and how I came to that opinion. They heard that opinion based on their reality and those words meant something completely different to them than what I intended it to mean. Sometimes I, maybe I just had a bad day and I just and, and that just kind of, you know, I did the enemy's work right then, boom. But I pray that, I pray that, Lord, I wanna do your will. I wanna do your will. And there's a real sense in which we need to be keen about that because opposition will continue to come from different places, different sides all around. And I've always been amazed at how many different ways in which the enemy can get somebody to speak for him. Even really solid people. Solid people can speak and be used by the evil one. Never intentionally, at least I hope, Never intentionally, but it does happen. So we need to pray. What I know that the Lord wants for us is he wants us to be walking in obedience so that the Holy Spirit's gift will continue to increase and increase and increase. That's the way I read it. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit that whom God has given to those who obey him. And I, and I, I there's there's... In one sense, there's no need for the Holy Spirit if you're not obeying the Lord. Because what you're just living for yourself, doing your own thing, uh, chasing the American dream or whatever it is that you're pursuing. But if you're going to be walking in the kingdom, you absolutely, essentially, it's a necessity. You have to have the Holy Spirit. And to continue in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you need to be walking in such a way that you're obeying. And when we don't obey, there is that, there is that sense of, of losing the fullness of walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Paul put it this way when he wrote to the Galatians. <clears throat> so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Okay, 
got the sinful nature in contrast to the Holy Spirit, living in the Holy Spirit. And this is one of contrast, the principle of contrast all through this paragraph. And he even says, these things are in conflict. Hmm. Have you ever noticed that when, when we stop being obedient, there, there comes that moment in our, in our walk where we're no longer obeying what the Lord, he's told us do something, we've resisted, said no, we, we pause, and all of a sudden in comes issues that we're not used, you know, that, that maybe while we're walking in, in, in step with the Holy Spirit, we're living in the Spirit, they're not even issues. They don't become problems at all. They're not difficult for us. But it's like when we pull out of that and, and we, 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 we hesitate on obedience, it seems like with the hesitation of obedience comes the possibility of disobedience. Matter of fact, some theologian has, has written and penned, this isn't original with me, delayed obedience is disobedience. I don't know if that's always true because sometimes I think the Lord, he tells us something and he plays it out there because he knows it's gonna take a while for us and it's important for us to process so we can fully be engaged. But other times he tells us something and we gotta do it right then or we, we miss it. And so you, we've got two, two kinds of, of opportunities to obey. Instant obedience seems oftentimes, if, if you're in doubt, and you're wondering whether you should do what the Lord's telling you to do, go with instant obedience. For example, you pray before tithes and offerings, ask the Lord what he wants to give. No, you don't do that, do you? If you did, you might have to obey. Because what happens if you, if you would pray before tithes and offerings and you say, Lord, you know, I... I I'm going to give 10%, but Lord, is there, is there anything else that you want me to give? And he says, yeah, add a zero today. And you think, oh, Jesus, I think an unclean spirit has entered in the sanctuary, you know, and we better, we better process this to make sure this is of you. Uh, can you say Jesus is Lord, you know, and try, try all the different tests that you have to try to figure out if, if that was really God. And you might have to wait a while and struggle with it. And you, and you might not get it in on Sunday and it may go Monday, Tuesday, and, and you're struggling and you're, oh. Now in this hypothetical scenario, it could be that your obedience in the moment allows a release of some kind of blessing that's really the issue that the Lord has. It's just that our obedience is a tangible, a tangible response to the Lordship of Christ. And when we, when we do that and we do it instantly, there could be something that's kind of contingent on our following the Lord. There could be a financial blessing. It could be a, a spiritual blessing. It could be an answer to prayer. I don't know. I'm not trying to say, put two zeros and I guarantee your mountain will be moved this week. No, don't, 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 don't misunderstand. I'm not, I'm not talking like that. I've never talked like that. Um, <clears throat> but I do know that there are times when I have immediately acted financially 
when the Lord told me something and it hurt. I, uh, I just looked in my wallet and I thought, that's all I have. And you really want me to do this? <sighs> okay. <laughs> Sometimes when you do that, instantly there's a peace and a presence and a joy of the Holy Spirit that comes upon you. And sometimes there's not. Depends on where you are in your developmental process. Because sometimes God, if we're, if we're early and we're just learning on something like this, sometimes the Lord wants to really bring immediate, instant, uh, tangible consequence that we know, oh, that was God. Okay, good. I know that. Good. Next time that happens, I'll know when I fill in this and I hear add a zero or add two zeros or add three. No, <laughs> just, when I hear this, I know, I know it's the Lord and I'll just do it. So next time comes, it happens, <laughs> you do it and you don't feel anything. And you think, uh-oh. Now, I, I greatly encourage you, if you're married, to always check with your spouse before you add those zeros. Because if you, if you don't, I guarantee you the enemy will, will probably have an argument waiting by the time you get home. Mm -hmm. So it's always good to be in, in agreement, in accord with your, with your spouse so that this, if you're married, if you're not, you know, that's, that's just you and Jesus, go for it. But as, as, you, as you check with that and, and you do that and you follow that, and sometimes I can be kind of forceful. I put Deb in a headlock and give her noogies and say, hey, we need to do, no. I just say, you know, I really feel, feel like the Lord's saying that we need to do this. And never has she said, no, I don't think that's the Lord. It's almost that if, if it's the Lord and you're sharing what you perceive to be the Lord with your spouse, and if they love Jesus, and they're, they, almost always they'll, they'll have a witness. There'll be agreement. It won't be an opposition. But I find if I do it before I talk to her, that's not always good. It's better to talk and say, hey, this is what I think the Lord's laying. Now, I've had the others where I had to say, hey, I did this because I felt like the Lord was leading that. And I give her a report rather than seeking agreement. I give her a report of what I've done. And even then, she's pretty merciful, pretty gracious. She hasn't beaten me yet. But those are, those are just some practical things of saying, how do we walk in the Spirit? How do we do this? The sinful nature will constantly try to pull us away from the Spirit. And, and if you're human, you're going to have that, that sinful nature. The enemy's going to be trying to use that constantly, any chance he can. It, it's, I, I always like you know, Mark's account, and, and as you go through the Gospels, and you, uh, <clears throat> or Matthew's account, after the temptation, uh, the 40 days in the wilderness and everything, and, and, and the enemy leaves. I always like it when the enemy leaves. I think that's so good. And the angels come and minister to, to Jesus and they're having a great time. But don't forget the little expression there. And he left waiting for a more opportune time. I, I, 
I get so blindsided so many times because I have this experience with the Lord and I feel like I'm invincible because of the, the Lord's presence and, and his spirit and the functioning and, and seeing some wonderful stuff happen. I just feel like, man, sky's the limit. We can keep going on and all this because the enemies laughed. But then he comes back. He comes back at a more opportune time. He comes at the, at the point in time and space where he can try to do as much destruction, still kill and destroy and rob us of the truth. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. No doubt about it. This is my Jim Coleman time, man. He loves the cross. <laughs> and, and man, the cross, when we realize what Jesus has done on the cross, and the more, the more we understand that and, and we experience that, that we're crucified with Christ, that we no longer live. The life we live in this body, we, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And as, as we go with that reality, it's amazing how the enemy can't, he can't draw upon those out, those, those, the sinful nature that, that would try to lie dormant and, and see if it could reappear. The sinful nature has been crucified, which means it's dead. But that doesn't mean that the enemy's not going to come by and try to get you to adopt a pseudo sinful nature. Something of his demise, uh, uh, of his origin, of his creation, and try to get you to buy that and allow a new force of evil to manifest in your life. Don't receive it. You don't, you don't have to receive that. Whenever you feel like the enemy's hitting below the belt, He's not playing fair. He's not fighting fair. We, of all people, have the knockout punch. Use that as a springboard to a deeper intimacy with Jesus. And out of that intimate relationship with Jesus, release the power and the authority of Jesus on the earth. And let's be done with that. Father, thank you for your love, your goodness. We can't even begin to exaggerate your goodness. You're so good. You're so amazing. Even as we sung, Lord, and as, as we could feel just the presence of heaven on some of the songs declaring your wonder, your glory, uh, your goodness today. Oh, Father, there's, there's that crescendo of the Holy Spirit inside of us that wants to say, yes, come Holy Spirit. May we walk in step with you. May we understand the relationship of obedience and your presence. May we understand that there's one level of witness and there's another level of witness. And we pray, Father, that we would become light and salt in the earth. That we would shine from the mountaintop that we'd bring light to all who pass by. So I bless my brothers and sisters. 
I thank you for their great heart. And I say, Lord, release the fullness of the Spirit and the wonder of your kingdom upon each of us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to acknowledge that we're all in different places in our growth process. We've all probably come to uh, an understanding of forgiveness of sins. We may be confused on how that continues to happen in our life. Um, but there's awareness. We become aware of something. Then we start thinking about it. We start pondering it. Some of this stuff may be brand new to you. I want you to keep thinking about it all week long and to be pondering in your mind and in your heart how this applies to you, what God wants for you. And then to start valuing the things that, that God starts breathing on and he starts affirming in your life. Start really placing value on that and then prioritize it. Get real specific, put it in your calendar. Make time for Jesus. Make time for, for Holy Spirit. Be real intentional about how you're developing your witness. Whatever level of witness you are today, there is an upgrade that we need to receive because there is a greater witness in the earth to be found. And then own it. Let it be a part of your, just how you breathe. It's so much a part of you that it's just as natural for you to do as if you're breathing in, air, out, carbon dioxide. Bring it in, Lord. Okay. If you have a need today, we want to pray. How many would like a, a witness upgrade? Anybody want a witness upgrade? Some? We got a few. Okay, let's pray for that first. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit come right now and all those that want their witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to have an impact on all those that they come in contact. I pray, Lord, whatever level of witness they are currently operating in, I ask, Lord, that you take them to the next level. And so prepare yourselves in Jesus' name. As Graham Cook says, every level, every level that you go up, there's a new devil. So be aware, you want a greater witness, there's gonna be some resistance. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to fear about that. You need to learn how to release the power and the authority that you have as a believer of Jesus Christ at that next level and take care of that because he tries to hit you just as quickly as he can as soon as you get to the next level, okay? If you have a physical need or emotional, spiritual, whatever, uh, Kingdom Sockham folks will be up here to pray. We'll be happy to pray with you. God bless you. Outside of that, it's a beautiful, beautiful day. Enjoy it, and let's live full-hearted for the King and His kingdom. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.